Welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. I had a problem to come up, but I just had to exit out of there. <laughs> well, sounds like you had quite a day. Just whenever jargon is thrown around before the podcast. Yeah, it's jargon that the audience did not hear. Yeah, I'll just I pick up on it, and I throw it out there because it sounds cool. Love it. Do you think prompt sounds cool? Yeah, it sounds pretty technical. All like, right. Like, I really get what's going on, you know? It's in the, it's in the net and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. Also joining us, Director of Mission State Productions, Jed Brewer. Greetings. Joining us all the way from Mercury, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. The first time I interacted with a prompt, I think it was on that game Oregon Trail back in, ah. the, back in the day. Did you die of dysentery? <laughs> Most certainly. Did you kill 400 pounds of bison, even though you could only transport 20 pounds of bison? <laughs> that's right. That's right. That was the, one of the first times many of us learned some truths about the developing male brain. Yeah. Yes. And speaking of meat, I have an emergency to declare. What? Oh, is it a meat segway emergency. This, this is a this is a type of meat emergency. Okay. And I I was at the uh, the fine pizzeria known as Little Caesars. Sure, it's authentic. It's uh, Naples, I believe. Yeah, I believe so. And uh, I, I was checking out an order for, you know, the youth groups. When, when you run a youth group, you frequent the Little Caesars. Sure. Ah. I believe, yeah, a good 85% of Little Caesars' business is youth groups. I, the reason is because it's both hot and ready. Absolutely. Mm. So there was a sign on the counter when I was about to check out that said, it had the drawing of the Little Caesars guy, and it says, we have substituted Canadian bacon for ham. Sorry what? for the inconvenience. Well, you should be sorry. That's thing number one. That you should be really sorry. You've betrayed the whole country. I yeah. hope you're happy. Yes, for those of you who are new to the show, welcome and good luck. But uh, we have an ongoing, well, we have one of our many ongoing one-sided beefs <laughs> is with the fine nation of Canada. Right. And you would think, is it based on some kind of cultural difference, maybe uh, some economic tensions, some you know, long-seated uh, soreness over them burning down the White House during right. the Madison administration? It's none of those things. That's not a big deal. We no, can get no, past that. We're cool. That, he, he probably deserved it. I hated that guy. Um, but it's based mainly around their, as Glenn feels it is true in his heart, their attempts to pass off ham— Right. Which we all know and understand yeah. as their right. own thing. Yeah. Look, don't lie about bacon of all the things you could lie about. It's really true. It's it's not enough for you guys to have such a, a good looking prime minister. And he is good looking. I mean, it's it's uh, it doesn't matter what your metric is, that man is easy on the eyes. It's almost disturbing and a little confusing. He is that good looking. Turn in, tune in to Glenn and Lee's spinoff podcast, Talking Trudeau. Ooh, nicely done. About every Thursday on uh, Canadian iTunes. Let me tell you what. You, you are substituting in Canadian bacon. You're making the bald eagle cry. You're substituting a lie for the truth is what you're doing. That's what you're doing. I hope you're happy. Lee Greenwood 
is, is over in the fetal position in the corner. That's right. Thanks yeah. to you. Thanks to you. He's sitting at the bottom of his shower, rocking and crying right you now. Know, I think if I was in a Little Caesars for whatever reason, and somebody turned and pointed to someone who was also in line beside me and said, you know who that is right there? That's Lee Greenwood there. I would believe that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> here's, what I, here's what I'm saying. This is the most upsetting part of our, our ongoing vicious feud with Canada. Well, as vicious as a feud can be with Canada. Right. It, the thing that's, ups- and that's the point. The thing that's so upsetting about it is they don't seem to mind. Yeah, it's it's a heaping burning coal situation. We This is a true, absolutely true fact. We have a person coming from Canada to see us, and uh, she has an amazing, amazing ministry in Toronto called Fight for Freedom. Yes, we, we interviewed Miss Sarah on the show here. We, we talked that. about that, and they, uh, they, they have uh, Miss Glass is coming and uh, going to visit with us, and uh, see a bit of what we're doing, and uh, we're going to try and talk her into expanding to Chicago. It's very exciting. Not in the least bit offended by the wow. constant vicious attacks that we're heaping on Canada. Sure. When your prime minister is that good looking, you can afford to not be offended when somebody else has a problem. With I guess so. Sure. Here's the thing, gentle listener to the show. Um, if you are lucky enough to to come into the encounter of one Glenn Fitzgerald one of these days, right? And we hope you do. We hope you visit. Oh yeah. Email ahead. Right. Um. Uh. Here's what you're gonna learn, Glenn. Two things will happen, and you must have the appropriate reaction. <laughs> one of which is wherever you come from, whatever your your ethnic background, your national background, Glenn will know exactly one fact about that nation. Right. An important, like, essential fact uh, that about the the culture. Yes, that we I we uh, had our lovely uh, friends visit from Canada. Right. Uh, two of them were uh, Nigerian, I believe. Yep. By uh, mm-hmm. hereditary, and uh, Glenn threw out a fact about Nigeria. Yes, I I named the three primary tribes of Nigeria. Yes. At which point they looked around the table and had a look in their face, like that's that's crazy. Right. But they weren't necessarily expressing that with their words. Right. Which left it to me to have to say to them, please tell Glenn you're impressed right. that he knew a Nigeria thing. Yeah. And they said it, and you would think, well, they heard Matt say that. Didn't that totally ruin their being impressed? No. And no, he was fine with it. No, that's it is to be remarked upon. Yes, indeed. The other thing is Glenn will probably at some point say something meant to offend you. Definitely. It is very important that you be offended. Right. You don't have to be offended. You just have to put a look in your face like, I can't believe someone who runs a ministry would say such a thing. Right. Because that's that's what we want. So we're trying to beef with you. Just work with us here. You got to fire back. That's the whole thing. Right. What what kind, you know what I mean? That's, That's what gets me up in the morning. Just vicious feuds. Oh, I'll tell you what else upsets me about this is pizza confusion. Oh, okay. man. oh, is that like muscle I, confusion? It's very I don't want to like be con- I don't want to be confused with pizza. That's right. I, I want to walk into a pizza situation and be comfortable and confident that I know what's going on. That's right. You know what I'm saying? So if I walk into a situation with pizza and all of a sudden we've given new names, there's new terminology, there's uh-uh. I, you know, now I got FOMO and 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 I'm confused and I'm scared. This is not this is not where I want to live, you know? I want That's to know right. what Look, my whole life the topping has been this. Let me call it that. That's right. Well, I think it's a fair point, and if I may throw a side gripe in here. 
Yeah. Uh, based on a recent restaurant experience. Don't name the pizzas. Right. Mm. The name of a pizza is what's on it. Right. You got your pepperoni pizza. You got your, you know, whatever you like. Ham and olive. I don't judge. We don't judge. We don't Pineapple. Judge. Whatever you got. Yeah. It's, it's not the, the, if you want to put Canadian bacon on a pizza, that's, that's fine. If you also have a ham option, an honest option. Right. But you don't call that the Saskatoon Surprise or whatever. Right. You tell me what's on it. <laughs> well, that's what I'm So that I don't about. accidentally, I don't, I don't want to decode your pizza menu here, Little Caesars. That's right. Just put, just put things on the pizza and sell it to me. That's yeah, all I don't want. get cute with it. Yeah. Here, here's what I'm, let me just tell you this right now. Is there anything more American than pizza? Invented by Alfred P. Pizza. <laughs> sure. American. Sure. You're supposed to pronounce both P's. Most people don't know that. I would like a slice of pizza, please. <laughs> Invented in America, I'm pretty sure. I don't, you know, sure. I'm no food historian. You, you don't know. say. But is there anything... You don't mess with American pizza. Look, here's the story. It's as American as apple strudel. We'll relate it to you. Alfred P. Pizza, he put put his racing saddle on his pet eagle, and he flew it to his workshop, where he landed on an American flag, and then he made pizza. That's how it happened. Let me ask you gentlemen this. What color is the sauce on the pizza? Red. What color is the cheese on the pizza? White. Thank you. What color is the blue yeast that he tried his first time out? Blue! That's right. That part didn't stick. Right. We went to a nice brown. It was too expensive to put the blue food coloring in every batch. He he, he put it in a blue cardboard box. That's how American it is. (laughs) I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but I think Alfred P. Pizza delivered the first pizza on a jet ski. That's how American it is. That's right. Yep. That's right. Uh, here's the here's what's been running through my head the whole time. We, a few uh, episodes back, we had one of the most amazing and beautiful and monumental things happen. We had uh, a, a a listener who we love dearly took the vocals, the the audio of this uh, emergency, and put it to claymation. Yeah. You know, kind of uh, uh, synced it up, and it, it was right. like a Christmas special. It was a work of pure art. It yeah. was yes, basically the most artistically beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. We've submitted it to the Louvre. <laughs> we're we're waiting right. to hear back. Right. Just the the journey of Alfred P. <laughs> Pizza on his uh, eagle. Yeah. Just is it too much work to claymation that up? I mean, sure. I, mean, I don't know yeah. how much, I don't know what the ins and outs are, but you sure. Know. Sure. We're just the idea guys, really just the history of it in claymation as narrated by us. <laughs> I can't decide if the Eagle is named old screechy or little screecher. I like both. Well, little screechers, the son. Yes. You know, when the dad retires, sure, sure. Yes. You know, he's hanging up his thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can't deliver these pizzas anymore. Little screecher. It's your time now. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. You don't want to see the claymation of that? No, I do. I do. I mean, you, what sold. kind of an un-American person are you to not want to see the claymation of that? Kind of person that orders Canadian bacon. That's right. Absolutely. That's why the first uh, joint owned by Alfred P. Pizza was named Little Screechers. 
Right. Yes. Later on, had to go through a number of name changes. You know, they wanted to try the Italian thing. That's where the whole myth came from, that it was Italian. That's right. People didn't want to buy it. They said, ah, it's, it's gauche and American. Right. That's how we sold it to the Canadians. That's right. They told him it was from Italy. That's how... And that's how Little Screechers became Little Caesars as the ultimate Canadian sting operation. Wow. Well, not a lot of people know this, but the P in Alfred P. Pizza also stood for pizza. And that's yep. why Little Caesars <laughs> advertising said... Pizza, pizza. Wow. We're not yep. going to beat that. Yeah. Yep. And with that, folks, we want to go ahead and declare a very Canadian emergency off. Yeah. Yeah. They don't even care that we insulted their. Yeah. That we put in a stealth pizza franchise, but we, we left the clues. Yeah. The little yeah. Caesars code there. Oh, we broke it down. <laughs> yeah. If you, there's a coded message hidden in every ridge box. You may not know that. Uh, there actually, it's not a coded message. It's just a message. Sure. Uh, it's, you know, it, it, we have the songs, we have the sermons and they all uh, answer a question this, this month we're talking about how to be an overcomer. So the, the not at all hidden messages is, is we want to help you be an overcomer. So okay. we, we didn't, re- we thought about like having runes and whatnot and you had to like have a map, but right. it got, it got pretty complicated. It's sure. just a webpage. Secrets. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You can download the stuff you can uh, use on the web browser there. So if you want to sign up at missionusa.com slash box, it's only $8 a month. And uh, uh, it really goes to help support the stuff we do up here. It goes to help Lee out with his work down there in Tennessee. And if we get enough people to sign up. If we have enough left over after we've paid our deacons to help people get housed and help people get into recovery and maybe get some some food help and all the amazing things the deacons do, maybe we've got that claymation budget. We don't know. We might have to. We might not have to. We're not be able to use your top claymation house. Right. It may just be, you know, a couple of interns with some Play-Doh and a can-do spirit. (laughs) But they're going to make the Alfred P. Pizza short. Look, I'll settle for a stop-motion Lego of that. (laughs) Yeah. He said yeah. as if that's an easy thing to do. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll settle it. for an yeah. OK Go video if that's what it needs to be. Yeah. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. All right, we jumped to our first question here. If anything else, all the way to the end, I get some ways to get in touch with this, or you can scroll down in the episode description and find those links below. Our first question comes in and it says I'm at a Christian conference. There's a young lady on the trip who for every session has been wearing very tight, revealing dresses. Also, she's sitting with all the young guys, obviously all giving her attention, who are all distracted from the service. So how do I, as a chaperone, address it without shaming her and making her feel like she can't be herself? I remember feeling so uncomfortable when all the old church ladies would tell me how to dress. I don't know how to approach it without being the voice that turns her away from the church because she feels judged. So it's a fantastic question that came in. And obviously, um, this came in about a week ago, and I, we we emailed back the person we emailed in. We 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 got their situation figured out, luckily. But Glenn, I want to address this on the show because I think it's a very good look at something we talk about a lot that maybe we don't talk about this angle of. So obviously, this is going to come down on some level to confrontation. Right. That's what this is. You have to tell someone something they don't want to hear. We, the phrase we use for that is confrontation. I feel like a lot of times we we talk on the show about situations where the reason we're getting a question is because someone realizes I have to confront this. Right. So how do I do that? Right. Which, and that's true in a lot of situations. This is a different situation. It's one we actually deal with. I, I, when I returned our, the, the email to our friend, I mentioned at our bridge service, when we talk a fair amount of the show about how we, we have to sometimes have to confront people, we have to ask them to change a certain behavior because they don't know how to be in the service. Or we sometimes very unfortunately, if they're, they're drunk or something, we have people in that meeting who are working their recovery. And we just, we just have to ask them to leave. Right. 
But there's another thing, which is the deciding, is this behavior something where I want to incite a confrontation? Yes. Because that's not 100% of the, oh, anyone who's not sitting there with their hands folded, we we boot them. Right. So there are levels to this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So when we're looking at a situation like like this, so there's something here that uh, someone has decided this probably isn't great, but, and I think our friend very smartly notes in the question, there are there could be some also unpleasant consequences to not doing this well. Right. Mm -hmm. So how do we start on that calculus? Well, I think patience is the big key. Mm. Uh, it's, a, it's a funny word to use maybe in this context, but if you think about it, uh, you're going to feel the pull to just immediately say something because it's one of those, it's an inappropriate looking thing, so you don't want to let it go on. It's easily and, identifiable. I can tell yeah. you what is wrong with this. Yeah, all of that. Uh, on the other hand, uh, there's another part of you that doesn't want to be that person, that doesn't want to be doing this confrontation. So you're going to be pulled back and forth between those two. But the problem is neither of those things is going to tell you how to do this well if it needs to be done. So patience gives you that ability to assess whether it needs to be done at all or not. And if it needs to be done, how to do it well. It turns out that impatient people who are having to sort of react in a moment, often do that very poorly. Uh, it, it, if we let that sense of impatience kind of drive a um, sort of a strident and, and uh, a, a reaction and a confrontation that's coming out of that frustration, you're going to feel that. I, yeah. I think that's a great point. To, to give an example of that, we'll go back to kind of talking about stuff the bridge. Um, the what a criteria for us escalating or confronting someone is not is this pissing me off exactly right that is a yes. separate thing yes because that could be i'm having a bad day that could yes. be i am frustrated about something else that could be this person right. does other things that just kind of rub me the wrong way and i yes. noticed this one so should i confront is different from is this person pissing me yeah, off not that is fantastic because uh, we say every time, I'm not saying this because I'm mad at you. Uh huh. Very you, important to say that. Uh, I, I've got. I I can smell the alcohol on your breath, and you're not able to stay upright. I got to walk you out. Uh, I got people who you know are trying to to make this change in their life, and I'm not doing that because I'm mad. I'm not mad at you. I talked to you about this before I got mad, uh, and c please come back next week, clean sober, and we'll just do this all over again. And I'm I'm gonna. Be happy to see you. We'll, we, you won't hear me mention this when, when that happens. Uh, so, yeah, uh, there are times when I have to confront people, and I am frustrated. It certainly happens all the time with my wife, where I have to tell her about something that you know is bothering me or something, but I'm frustrated about something else, and I have to specify that. I look in my face like I'm mad at you. I'm not. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm sort of frustrated with the situation, but there's a other thing going on that's yeah, making me yeah. have this face. So let's not be confused. So uh, I think that's important. Um, the key thing moving forward, once we, you know, use some patience, get some prayer time, figure out what the Lord wants us to do, uh, even if that's just grabbing 15 minutes or something, that's that's worth doing. Uh, we what we want to look at is how do I address the underlying issue not just that behavior that I don't like. Uh, that's going to get us thinking deeper about this and not sort of a surface-level reaction that's driving an impatience. 
uh, we want to look at the root of these problems, not the fruit of them. We don't, we don't mm. want to just be trying to confront symptoms of a larger problem. It's easy enough uh, for you to project yourself in the mind of a young lady who maybe for a lot of her growing up years thinks maybe young men won't be attracted to me. And maybe if I put on the right clothes, they will be, and they'll give me attention, and I'll feel good about that. It's easy enough to get, get to see that thinking take shape and imagine what it's like to be in that place. And you may have had similar feelings in your own mind. Uh, but if I can say something that addresses that, I'm going to be much more effective. In other words, if I can say, look, you're a beautiful yep. young lady. Uh, you don't have to do anything to get guys' attention. Also, attention isn't really what you're looking for. Also, you don't need a bunch of guys to give you attention. You really only need the guy that you're interested in to be interested in you. It doesn't... The fact that uh, all men everywhere want to be with you or something might sort of flatter your ego, but what what does that amount to? You know, if you can't have a relationship with all of them, uh, that that's not doing anything either. So, being able to kind of speak uh, uh, to that underlying issue changes the nature of that conversation. It's hard to be offended by someone who's telling you you are beautiful, you have value. Any man of worth will see that. Uh, and you don't have to do anything for that to happen. Uh, also, as we're walking away, uh, young men who aren't paying attention to a service can be kicked out. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> uh, so and it's there's uh, if they're spending all their time chasing the gals, that might be a good time to confront that because hello, it, it may wound a young lady's spirit to say. You're, you're dressing a little bit provocatively. And I get that. I, I see what you're saying. And you're right to tread carefully. If you're talking to a young man about being a horn dog at the church conference, you don't need to be all that gentle. Glenn, you, you had the, the sound of someone who's been on both sides of that particular conversation. You betcha. Yeah. It's all really fantastic stuff and a lot of... <laughs> A lot of very good uh, basics about confrontation that I think anyone can follow, anyone can apply to their situation, which is all very good stuff. And Jed, I'd love to get you to pick us up here because there's another aspect of confrontation I think is important here as we're deciding if we want to do that, how we want to do that, especially if someone in a position of like leadership. And one is how we're coming at this. Mm-hmm. So one of the things, again, to, to use the example of the bridge, one of the ways we do confrontation there is... As Glenn's pointing out, it's, it's I'm not mad at you. But another kind of thing we have is there's an almost human resources. It's not a personal conversation. Mm-hmm. We say things like, we just can't have that in the service. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I'm sorry, someone came in late. And we'd be in the service walking in and say, I'm, we don't say, you came late. I don't like that you came late. Beat it. Yeah. We say, unfortunately, the service is already wrapping up. So that's, that's, it may seem like a small difference, but it's a big one in delivery of there's a behavior that I, as the person talking to you, find unacceptable yep. and offensive, and this is inappropriate for this situation. Yep. How does that apply to this? 
It's a great question. Well, I asked Hallie what she thought about all of this, and uh, I'm going to give you Hallie's very, very smart wisdom in response. Uh, Hallie is a very beautiful woman. She is also a military veteran, which is relevant here, because what Hallie said is that one of the things you learn from spending a lot of years in the military is you're in an environment where everything, everywhere you go, everything you do has a dress code. You are informed how you will dress. You don't have a say. You don't have an option. If you do not comply with that dress code, there will be problems. And everything you do everywhere you go has a code of conduct. You are told how you will act, how you will comport yourself. Again, this is not optional. This is how it's going to be. And so when she transitioned from the military world to the civilian world, what she discovered is everything in the civilian world has a dress code too. They just don't always spell it out for you. Yeah. If you think about it though, Every job has a dress code. It really does. There's not that much variety to how people dress. Every occasion has a dress code. It, it really, really does. If you, if you kind of are of a mind to notice it. And everywhere you go has a code of conduct, too. It's just not spelled out. That's the only difference between the military life and civilian life. If you don't follow the code of conduct, if you don't follow the dress code, you're causing problems everywhere you go. It could be as simple as distraction. It could be other things. It could be that people are looking down on you, but things are not working the way they're intended to work. If you are not um, in, in, uh, if you're not aligned with the code of conduct and the dress code, with the places you're going and the things you're doing. And here's why this matters. A big part of the job of a leader in any situation is to orient their people to what is going to be expected of them. Absolutely. That's a big part of what leaders do. So that actually oftentimes can and should mean discussing in advance a dress code and a code of conduct. Because there's no reason to assume that people would just magically know these things. <laughs> that I would just I would wake up and I would go to a conference <laughs> I've never been to before and I would just know the way they want me to dress and the way they want me to act. There's actually no reason to think that. So the job of the leader, ideally beforehand, is to go to people and say, here is how all of you will act at this conference. Yeah. All of you will have your eyes fixed on the stage as a show of respect. Because that's what we're here to do is to be respectful in God's house. Eyes on the stage. All of you will be dressed in an unremarkable way. If people could remark upon it, then you shouldn't be dressed that way. Like if you sneeze and something falls out, yes. that would be remarkable. If you showed Indeed up, it would, sir. Indeed it would. If you show up in Scooby-Doo pajamas, such that a person might reasonably say, my goodness, look at those Scooby-Doo pajamas. They have remarked on your attire. Therefore, you are improperly attired. This may sound a bit military as I say it. You can get where this is all coming from. But now here's the thing is that actually is the job of a leader is to orient people and orient. Here's where we're going. Here's what you need to do for it. Here's how you need to present yourself for it. But knowing that now actually gives you a cool thing that you can do as you sit down both with the boys and with the girl, which is lead off with an apology. I should have told you things I did not tell that, you. That's exactly yeah. right. That's and, it. And I'm sorry. And I owe you an apology. There was no reason for me to assume you would have this knowledge. I am sorry. That is on me. Young men, eyes front, eyes on the stage. I don't care what else is going on around you. You show respect at an event by having your eyes on the stage. If you find you're unable to do that, I will be happy to walk you out. 
Again, I should have told you that last week when we were planning for this. I did not. That is and I'm not me. telling you now because I'm mad. I'm just, exactly. I, I'm explaining it. Exactly. This is a code of conduct. This is how we conduct ourselves at this. In the future, I'll be sure to tell you that in advance because maybe say, I don't want to abide by that code of conduct. No problem. You don't, don't have to be here. Don't go. You know, same thing with... Um, with a, a dress code, here's how we will present ourselves visually for this event. Probably the keyword here will be unremarkable. That's because we we don't we don't want to be a distraction in any way. That's the point of unremarkable visual presentation. Right. Uh, but the thing about that is, if you take, as Matt was saying a minute ago, almost that human resources thing to it, a couple things become clear. First, there's nothing personal about any of this. I have I have no opinion on your personal aesthetic choices and the way you dress. There is a mission here. There's a thing we're here to do. We are here to attend and give our full attention to this conference. We will all comport ourselves and dress a certain way for that. You are either in alignment with that or you're not. It's not a personal thing, um, and I'm not mad about it. And it's not in any way a comment on your aesthetic choices. It's just there's a thing that we're doing here. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's Scooby-Doo pajamas or a Batman costume or a revealing dress. None of that makes any difference. You're not in line with the thing that we're here to do. We're here, we're here to do a thing. It's still a confrontation. You are still telling someone something that they probably don't want to hear, but you're doing it in a way that respects their dignity, uh, that takes ownership of the fact that there were steps you should have taken that you didn't. And that's okay. We're all, we're all new to things. That's no problem. But what you're doing is you're giving a person the best possible opportunity to respond in the right way. Um, you know, that's really one of the key things about confrontation is setting people up for success. It can be so yeah. easy to go into thing of just, I am upset about this and now you, you're going to hear about it. Right. But that's not setting that other person up for success. What we, what we want is to recognize they will have a moment of bruised ego, or that isn't something I like hearing, but we say, I see what you're saying and I can hear that. And I, I can see why I would want to comply with it. And I do want to comply with it. So I'm going to, you want to set them up for success. These are some of the things that you want to do that, but we believe in you. You can handle this. Absolutely. Right. That's all really good stuff. And Lee, I think these guys did a great job covering, um, not making a case for, but if someone were to decide that this is a situation to confront, here's yeah. how we would go about that. And in, in the way that gives us the best chance to be effective. But I think it's it's a good idea to look at, uh, both in this situation as an example, but in, in other situations, what might be the, it's not a counter argument, because again, this isn't do we do it or not, but what sure. would it be like to look at a situation and say, here's some reasons that I could see not going to talk to this girl right now. Uh, right. We, we've mentioned a couple. One is certainly, and this is a, a practicality of youth ministry, these boys are going to be looking at women anyway. Yeah, so a lot yeah. of way, uh, when, we, when we think about confrontation, one of the things we want to ask ourselves and it helps with not being mad, it helps with the orienting is, is a confrontation here going to solve a problem or create a problem? And the, the problem it could solve is maybe these, these young men will, you know, fix their eyes upon the Lord, both literally and metaphorically, <laughs> and we will move on. But if it's not going to fix that problem and it's going to create a problem with this girl... Right. How would we go into this situation and then kind of a maybe and let's say if I want to look at this holistically, how would not making that confrontation and interacting with this girl in a different way get us where we want to go? Right. And that that's a fantastic setup. And and I love everywhere that, that Glenn and Jed have taken this, especially that humility piece that Jeb was talking about of I should have done this. I'm sorry. Uh and folks, you find a youth leader that comes in on that note. 
ride that one all the way home. That's that is a that is an awesome person to follow behind who who can come at it with that kind of humility. But actually as as far as what you're asking Matt, the the person who asked this question actually already kind of instinctively knows what part of the answer is, which is she says I don't want to I don't want to give this this person this kind of experience of shame they're going to carry for a long long time. That's a really really important instinct. You have the you have a very good instinct on that because I know personally um women who during their teenage years experience some kind of conversation with somebody in a church setting where somebody approached them about the way they were dressed and and then went on to give them the uh put the judgment on them of you dressed in this way so that someone would look at you and they and they have expressed I honestly did not. I really did not. And now I have carried that shame with me for 20 years or whatever. I I have, you know, and this kind of a thing is, I, I have heard this kind of story ad nauseum where somebody was approached, somebody was, had a judgment put on them and they carried that shame around. A couple of things. I've been in youth ministry for a long, long time, and Matt's exactly right. It doesn't matter if you put the, 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 the girls in uh, garbage bags. You poked a hole in a garbage bag and put their head through the hole in the garbage bag, and all, all the girls were wearing uh, robes, and they were it, or if the the women were invisible, and the guys could just smell that the, that the women were there, they're not paying attention to the conference. I don't know why we spend so much money on the conferences. Don't take the teenage boys; they can't hear it, they can't think about it. They're not. It's there is no point. Okay, the only thing they're thinking about is the young women that are there. So let's deal with that right off the top of the thing. But. Uh, the thing that I would say is, if 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 you are a, a a female youth leader and you're thinking, how do I deal with this? I don't know if she's doing this on purpose. I don't know if, what she means by this. I don't know if if anybody's ever told her how to dress or how to what what modesty looks like or anything like that. <clears throat> the thing that I would encourage you to do is to look at Jesus Himself. I think that there's an instinct for some Christian leaders to take anything that makes us uncomfortable and to shine a spotlight on it that I got to deal with this in this way, by shining a spotlight on it. But if you remember what our Lord did is he bent down and wrote in the sand and took the spotlight off of a, a person like this, a, a person who was in a in a, kind of an uncomfortable situation or whatever. And, and then he always moved towards the folks that everybody else called the sinners, that everybody else was judging on. It says that he ate with them, that he spent time with them. The, the number one accusation of Jesus was that he was the friend of sinners. And I can tell you that what we do in, in our outreach and what we do with our youth ministry is we are comfortable with the fact that kids do not they were not raised to be christians they do not know what it means to to live a godly life we are around them and our hope is to show them what jesus is like and show them what discipleship means and walk alongside them so they can see what a person who loves jesus is like we build a life with them we make memories with them we move toward them and we show them bit by bit what it means to walk with the lord and so if i'm if i'm you and I feel like I just don't know if this is going to create more problems than it would solve, then definitely I want to be praying about that. And in the meantime, 
I want to stick as close to this girl as I can. If I'm, if I'm a female youth leader, I want to move toward her life. I want to love on her. I want to make her feel cared about. I want to make her feel welcome. I want to make her Amen. feel special. And I want to be her best friend. I want to make this weekend of this conference, me and her making memories. We're going to paint nails. Yeah. We're going to talk about our favorite movies, our favorite songs and stuff like that. I'm going to be on her hip the whole time, telling her what I love about her. Just as Glenn said, telling her she's beautiful all that kind of stuff. I want to build this young lady up. Give her a weekend she'll never forget. Give yeah. her, even if she is trying to get the, the attention uh, of those young guys, even if she is gunning for that, you're going to give her something more satisfying Yeah. in that friendship with a godly woman. So that would be my instinct is to move toward her while you seek wisdom from the Lord on whether or not you need to have this conversation. And if you do, you have it exactly as these brothers have laid out. I think it's all fantastic stuff, and I, I wouldn't take just a quick second here to point out how all these things that these guys are telling you work together. Um, we, we talk a lot, like I said, we talk a lot about confrontation on the show, which is important. It's something that doesn't get talked about in church. There's not a lot of good Christian books about it, whatever. There's a lot of idea that to, to be Christians to not have to do confrontation, which is super not the way things work if you want to get anything done. And the, the reality is there's not really an idea of being ninja level good at confrontation. The, the way to do it is basic. It applies pretty universally. The ways to have a healthy confrontation that could be church stuff, family stuff, um, you know, work stuff that that's all doable and basic where the nuance comes in more often than not is the stuff we're talking about here of, should we have this? What's the timing of that? What are the issues we're trying to solve with this confrontation mm-hmm. and would confrontation do it? So uh, again, we we don't know the situation using this one. We don't know the young lady It's possible. She's just behaving in a way that is not healthy for her, not healthy for the guys. She's trying to provoke uh, people. She's trying to really stand out and be strong. And right. it was the, the teenagers easy, go through phases. Yeah. Like she, that. She's, you know, 15, 16 years old. Again, none of this is judgment. Does it being angry? But you know, so it's possible. There's a way to say the problem is the way she is behaving currently confrontation is what will shut that down now as Lee's pointing out. And as these guys, as Glenn started us, if you look at that bounced off the Lord, talk it over with maybe some fellow leaders and come around to, yeah, she wants attention, but who doesn't want attention? So is there a way to, as Lee is saying, it's always a great look to give her more than what she's asking for in a way that solves this, that helps that Uh, to the other point would, no matter how hard we come down on her, they're just the guys are just going to start looking at the next most scandalously dressed girl. Yeah. Is is that it? That's right. So none of that is confrontation necessarily. Once you get to the point of doing the confrontation, it's all the stuff we say. It's it's cut, uh, cut deep and cut clean. And the the cheapest price price to pay is now leading with respect, not leading with emotion, and that all applies across things. But what you really want to put your thought into, and if you you came to a bridge service, what we might be in the back if we were talking about a confrontation, once it's decided that we have to pull this person or deal with them, that's all on rails. We, we have the, mm. we have a system. We know how to do that. And it's all the stuff we talk about on the show. There's no secret sauce to that. Really. The thought and the prayer goes into exactly this stuff here, getting that wisdom, identifying mm. what's going on, what we are affecting in this situation. And it sounds like, I know our friend who wrote the question is, is way further on that thought process that she might even think she is. And Glenn, one more quick thing. Just one very quick thought. A really good discipleship when you're when you're doing it well is you're looking at 
all the stuff that the person needs to grow on, right? If you look at that, and the a, a person who's good at that says, this part of this list, this person will figure out on their own. Mm-hmm. This part, I have to probably speak up and break that down. And I think applying that thinking to this is is yeah. a, is important as well. If she's going to work through uh, phases and figure that out on her own, best not to make that a horrible experience in the meantime. If that's not going to happen, that's a different thing. Yeah, I think it's a great point. Just to close this off. There, there are times we talked about, and we, it's true, if you're just sure and a situation is unbearable and you know God's calling you to make a confrontation, then not doing that is chickening out. That is sin. That is all those things. That's not the same thing as looking at a situation and not knowing whether it's worth the confrontation. That's right. There's no problem with saying, I got a funny feeling about this. There might be more going on mm-hmm. than yeah. I know. Let's wait till tomorrow yep. or next week or for now. That's not skipping out on a confrontation. That's right. That's looking for wisdom. That's always a good thing when we, when we move on with that. Okay, we move on to our next question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, In my past, people tried to take advantage of me, so I learned to keep my guard up. Now I'm always jumping to these crazy conclusions and it's hurt my relationships. Nobody wants to be around a person who's always accusing everyone. What does God want me to do about all this? Does he really want me to just let my guard down? That's a great question. And Jed, where would we start off? Well, we're sorry for the struggles that you've dealt with and we appreciate you writing in. The thing about trust is that it is not a binary thing. It's not an either on or off thing. I either trust this person or I don't. We trust people in certain areas and in certain ways. So I trust Matt to put together a really cool podcast every week uh, because he's proven he can do that. I don't trust him to perform open heart surgery on my grandmother because uh, he has not proven he can do that. I mean, how old is she? (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying, but... I feel like I could get in there and figure some stuff I, out. Yeah, I, I don't know why you wouldn't trust him on that. He seems like a very reliable person. He's not a doctor. And so that no, no, really... Right. I barely made it through undergrad. <laughs> that sounds like a silly example, but actually a lot of us make that mistake with trust. We, we want to have a relationship with people where it's all or nothing. I can either totally trust this person or I totally can't trust this person. Very few relationships work that way. The way that we would encourage you to as a start, as, as a way to look at things, is to say that trust is a thing that people earn, and they earn right. it in degrees. To the degree that people earn your trust, you should give them that much trust. You should not give them more trust than what they've earned. To, to put it in kind of a funny way, if they've earned 10 trust bucks, then they should have 10 trust bucks worth of trust. Right. They shouldn't have 100, though, because they right. haven't earned that. Yeah, it right. yeah. So let's, let's give a practical example. If you say, you know, people, people claim they're going to come through for me, but they never do. All right. If you feel that way, I, I bet you've had a lot of bad experiences in your life where you come by that honestly. So no problem. So you go to a church and you start making friends and somebody says, well, I'll give you a ride to the softball game. Okay. If they, if they do show up and they do give you a ride to the softball game, they have earned trust proportional to when I say I will do a relatively small thing, I will follow through and do it, which means you should afford them that much trust moving forward. That right. if they say, I'll give you a ride to the second softball game, you don't make sure your car is fully gassed up just in case. 
because they've earned that much trust. That doesn't mean that you trust them to uh, let you stay at their house if yours burned down because they haven't earned that much trust. They've earned ride to the softball game trust. So that's all that we need to worry about. Okay, so here's my question for you. As you look at the people in your life, how many of them have earned some degree of your trust? Because there are probably people who have earned no degree of your trust. They have done nothing to in any way earn your trust. In which case, uh, you shouldn't let down your guard with them. You shouldn't open up to them because they have done nothing to earn your trust. That would be a super bad idea. But I bet you can think of at least some people who have earned some degree of trust in your life. The question then is, are you giving them that level of trust? Are you giving them that level of vulnerability? Are you giving them that level of openness? If if they say, how you doing? And you say, ah, it's been a rough week. And they're cool about that. They don't start preaching at you. They don't start trying to say, well, I'll tell you what I do. But they just say, I'm sorry to hear that. And I'm praying for you. And you know, let me know how I can help. Then they have earned a little bit more vulnerability from you. And you ought to give them that little bit more vulnerability because they've earned it. It doesn't mean maximum vulnerability. That means a little bit more. The other thing that I would like you to ask is how many people in your life are asking for more trust than they've earned? Because there are people who do that, and that's a warning sign. But I bet you can tell the difference as you think about it. I bet you can tell the difference between people who have earned your trust to a certain extent, and they're not asking for more of that, versus people say, hey, I gave you a ride to the softball game. Why won't you let me borrow $500? Yeah, just trust me. Just trust me, bro. I was cool about softball games, so, you know. Here's the thing we want you to do. We want you to give people the trust they've earned, and we want you, if you really want to do the maximum, most Christian, most healthy thing you can do, is look for opportunities where you can build that next little bit of trust with them. That's the best anybody can do, is to say, this person has earned 10 trust bucks. I'm going to give them a chance to earn 11 trust bucks. If you'll look for opportunities to do that, you'll find them. So, you know, the guy where he said, how's your week? He said, ah, it's kind of rough. So I'm sorry to hear that. I'm praying for you. 11 trust bucks means the next time he says, how's your week? Not great. You know what? Can I tell you about this thing that happened in work? And just see what happens. If he's not cool about it, no 11 trust bucks for you revoked. But if he's cool about it, maybe we start looking for a way to do 12 trust bucks. You could do that over time. What you'll find is you've built cool, reliable, trustworthy relationships. You'll be glad that you have them and they'll be stable. And that's what we want for you. It absolutely is. And be on the lookout for Save That Industries brand trust bucks. Yeah. Coming soon. It's going to be a little awkward before everybody catches on to it. But it says, oh man, I'm really sorry for praying for you. Just hand them a, a bill with Glenn's face on it and yeah. say, good job. I'll come back for that later. <laughs> right. But it's all very, very good stuff. The just starts off with, and we'd love to go to you here. Uh, I think our, our friend is asking a very cool question here, which is, okay, there's something in my life that's not working. I, I understand why I came by it. What does God want me to do about this? And I think they, they are in a way right to resist the idea that God just wants you to do the opposite of what you used to do right now. Just stop what you used to do and do something good now. Uh, that's rarely the way things work on that. And more likely, God wants us to to learn something, to acquire some wisdom or maybe a skill here. And what might that be in this situation? 
Okay, so this is a really good point, and and I love where Jed came in on this, talking about um, Ooh, t- talking about. I don't the, like uh, that books. Yes, know, discernment, extending no. trust to people and extending vulnerability. The 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 key answer to this is a word that you don't hear in church very much, which is the word discernment. A word, <laughs> a word that people don't like. <laughs> we don't. We don't like to talk about discernment, but it it it, it hangs on a, a key phrase that, that Jeb was talking about in his answer, which is he said that you have the right to tell the difference, that you actually can tell the difference between somebody who has earned trust and somebody who hasn't. And that's what I would say is discernment is the ability to tell the difference. To tell the difference in somebody who is somebody who is worthy of of trusting, you know, as Jeb was saying, you know, 10 trust bucks or 12 trust bucks or 20 trust bucks or whatever. This is a meticulous process, but you have the right as somebody that believes in Jesus to tell the difference. The the thing that's going to happen to you if we go ahead and predict the future a little bit is that when you start setting up some of these uh, paradigms in your relationships, somebody's going to push back and say, but I thought you were a Christian, man. Uh, this isn't the way I expected a Christian to act. A, a Christian's supposed to be loving. You're supposed to love me, man. You're supposed to, this doesn't feel very loving. And that's actually not the what this is about. As believers in Jesus, we love everybody. We love everybody freely as we have been freely loved. But love is a gift. Trust is earned, exactly as Jed said, meticulously earned. And there's actually a really cool verse in Philippians chapter 1 where the Apostle Paul says, I pray that your love may abound so that you may may be able to discern what is best. That's a really, really cool point. That when actually, when I am loving people well, I am better able to discern what I need to do, how I need to treat them what boundaries I need to set up. I think that sometimes we think in relationships that the word boundary is a bad is a bad word and that that is just set aside for relationships that have gone sour and I have to set up a boundary against that person. That can sometimes be true, but every healthy adult relationship has boundaries in it. They're just in different places in different ways and we have the right to be able to tell the difference. We need to seek the Lord's guidance on that. We need to seek the guidance of wise people in our life. But we have the right to tell the difference over who has earned trust with us and who hasn't. And it's actually a loving thing to do, to set up a good boundary, to take care of our relationships in that way, in a healthy way, and to discern how we're supposed to treat each person in our lives. Absolutely right. That is all very very good stuff. And Glenn, to, to quote a wise man to himself, ah. uh, the opposite of a bad idea is another bad idea. I've heard that. Yes. You said, you said that. Yes. Um, so, but one of the things I think that there's, that's like a lot of good phrases that uh, they ministry stuff, stuff in the recovery community, stuff we use. There's a lot going on there mm. that kind of over time you've whittled down and just kind of something that's easier for people to remember. But I think one of those things, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is just because a behavior is not working doesn't necessarily mean that every aspect and motivation of that should be chucked out. Right. So as these guys are saying, yes, it is very possible that distrust is, is hurting your relationships is holding you back from some things you want in life, these past traumas. But that doesn't mean the answer is to just be the world's most trusting person tomorrow. No question about it. We do need to navigate some middle ground here, right? That's for sure. I think, uh, 
uh, trust is something that we should be careful with. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Love, we can just give away freely. Uh, uh, we can't over-love people. That does, there's no way to do that. It's really easy to give out more trust than, than what people have earned and get ourselves into trouble in relationships. I think, um, I think part of the problem, if I could just you know, kind of give it a bit of real talk is I think that sometimes we develop this picture in our head of what a really super Christian person would be. This person reads lots of books. <laughs> this person um, is always uh, uh, humble bragging about their struggles. Mm. You know, sometimes mm. I just get really cheesed off when someone cuts me off in traffic mm. and i say oh darn and i, I know you're probably shocked to hear that i have feelings like that too yeah. you know just to where you'd be ashamed to brag on yourself and say hey check out these new shoes i've got because that's not christian you know christian is like when you talk about you, <laughs> you know, know who only like, wore one shoes pair of shoes his whole life jesus, jesus probably. yeah hmm. so so i have that kind of uh uh, in in self-inflicted dour kind of uh, overly academic uh, super straight way about me and then i had this almost angelic way of just trusting everybody mm. and just seeing the, the the seeing the best in them now i talk bad about them behind their back but that's different you know it's like to their face i just and i just let them do things and i'm like oh my gosh i can't believe they did that and it's you know this is not what a good Christian is. That's not how. Uh, uh, th- this is not a, a godly approach to relationships at all. Uh, this is going to sound terrible, but it super is not. It's important in relationships to understand other people's weaknesses, mm. and that's every relationship you've got. What is the weakness that this person has? Now, I'm not saying. To understand what's wrong or bad about this person, that's a judgment. We're not talking about that. Everybody's got weaknesses. It turns out Matt has a crippling weakness in his almost total inability to do open-heart surgery on Jed's grandmother. I feel like it's really wow. holding me back. Yeah. Way to go, <laughs> Matt. Really, you need to talk to you about that, Matt. I... Look, I got how hustle, dare you, right? and I got a can-do attitude. That, yeah, that's you. You are you still have a complete weakness in this area. I also have a C minus in the one biology class I took in college. Yeah, so maybe this isn't a great idea. That's correct. Uh, everybody has areas of strength and weakness. Everybody, everybody, everywhere. Uh, but I need to have my eyes open on what both of those are when I'm in relationships with people. Uh, so, for example, uh, uh, in our uh, ministry, we have a deacons program. So this is people who have come up through the program, come up to the bridge, and they've they've done well, and they've got their lives together, and we invite them to help us run the service. And, and when you support uh, Bridgebox, you're actually supporting the money that we pay to them. Uh, it's, it's one of the coolest things about our ministry. We love yeah. having it. We love doing it. Uh, and uh, we're, of course, you have a certain rate of turnover to that because uh, churches just want to come and steal them away, which is what they're supposed to do, and that's a good thing. Uh, so we have turnover, and we're currently looking to add new deacons in. 
so uh, Pete uh, from our staff and I sat down. We we compiled a list of like seven guys who would be great for this. Uh, and we know what we like about all seven of those guys. There's no question. They're all, they wouldn't be on the list if they weren't amazing. But what we did is we listed out the key weaknesses that each of those guys are struggling with. Uh, because we're, what we're going to need to do is uh, challenge that, confront that, and say, well, you know, everything's going good in your life, but um, you, you're going to need a, a place to stay. If you go back with your family, that's going to be a trigger and that's going to be a problem. It's not a healthy family environment. So that's a challenge. That, and we're, we're here to help you find a new place. And we're going to, you know. But if he says, no, I just want to go into a lousy environment. I think I can handle it. Well, he's, he's, he's telling us this is a key weakness that might take him out. And he also doesn't want to work on it. Uh, let's put him on the back burner and see how that develops. Meanwhile, I've got another guy who's uh, rising up and confronting that weakness and knocking it out, moving on to the next one and all of that. So understanding those weaknesses, we want all of them to succeed. We, we hope they all do. We all think, we think all of them are great. That's not what we're, this is not a negative thing on any level. It's really just saying, if we're building a relationship of trust and I know what your weaknesses are and I can see you addressing those and dealing with that, I know exactly where that trust level can be. It makes sense that if this is a key weakness for you, I'm not going to tempt you to, you know, give you a situation that you can't handle. Um, final point, uh, and this is another one of these sayings we have around here, uh, to the extent that you let people take advantage of you, they will. That's mm. part of life. That's not people being evil. That's how life works. If you let people take advantage of you, they will. If you don't let people take advantage of you, it turns out they'll find somebody else to play this game with. Mm. And that's a, that's a, it should give us a good amount of comfort. If we have an attitude of, I intend to be discerning about this relationship, I know it's important for me, anybody I'm discipling or, or, or mentoring in any kind of way, it's important for me to say, I know what your strengths are, and here's what they are. And to say it in the same vein, I see what your struggles are, I see what your weaknesses are, I see what's holding you back and keeping you from being the best you can be at this. And so I'm going to be helping you with that, and, and we're going to be focusing in on that. If you're looking to manipulate me and get away with something with me, you're going to think, well, first of all, he actually thinks more highly of me than anybody else does, so I don't want to ruin that. At the same time, he sees every weakness I've got coming from a million miles away, so I'm not going to be able to get away with anything, so I'm just not going to try anything. And that has a way of uh, sort of stopping a lot of these problems before they start. Absolutely does. That is a lot of fantastic stuff on that. We're going to move to our final question here. It came in anonymously and it says, between the recent megachurch scandals and politics stuff, it seems to me that there are a lot of people out there making Christians look bad. How do I let people know that even though I love Jesus, I'm not like that? And a good question, possibly the defining question of our age. Oy. And Lee, uh, where did we start off? Uh, number one, I feel you, man. Uh, yeah. yes, this is, <laughs> this is absolutely, this absolutely sucks. And, uh, and, and, and so I, I, I know the, I know your feel on this and I'll tell you the the key answer to this is actually yet another word that we don't hear enough about in church, which is discipleship. Um, Jesus's plan to change the world was to make disciples who would then make disciples. 
as it turns out, somebody that is following Jesus, who is a student of Jesus, who is becoming more like Jesus, you're the answer to your own question. See, you love people instead of judging people. Instead of using people, you serve people. You're not afraid, but you're full of faith. And the the funny thing that I've found is that when you are a person who is genuinely following Jesus and becoming more like what he's actually like, it takes surprisingly small amounts of real Jesus-y type love to an, uh, an individual before they totally change their view of what this whole Jesus thing is about. I mean, it takes a surprisingly small amount. You, you show a little bit of real, actual Jesus-iness to somebody, and they're like, dude, what is that? I want that. I'm on that thing that you're on. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, this is the Jesus thing. It is? I thought the Jesus thing was all this unkindness and this whatever and this judgmentalness and this, you know, hating people and everything. No, no, no. Actually, uh, Jesus was amazing on all those things that you just mentioned. And as I become more like him, I- I've fallen more and more in love in the kind with the kind of folks that Jesus was reaching out to. Um, it-, it-, it really, really is a cool thing that Jesus's whole plan was for was for one life to affect one life. And then one more and then that person go to one more life and that life affect another life. And and for people to be just, you know, kind of walking around meeting each other, becoming friends and changing changing the world like that. A, a small kind of grassroots thing, but it happens as people become more and more disciples of Jesus, love the way he did, welcome the way he did, serve the way he did, care the way that he did. The more we become like that, we are the answer to the thing that is pissing us off more than anything else in the world. We are the answer because we're becoming more like him, and he's the answer that they're looking for. So my friend, as you start to love more and more like Jesus, you answer your own question, and we can't wait to see when this whole thing is over, the impact and the ripples that your life has made the number of lives that will be changed because you daily are becoming more and more like the teacher and the savior that you follow. Absolutely right. That was all really, really fantastic stuff to get started off here. And Jed, I'd love you to to pick us up there. Um, I think Lee gives us exactly, if we want a guiding principle here, it would easily be, be more like Jesus. It turns out if you're more like Jesus, you're going to be less like those other Christians, kind of by default. Sure. If we could break that down to maybe a couple of uh, North Star actionable steps to make sure we're we're doing that and not drifting into something else, what would those be? Well, I'll tell you the two that I focus on. Uh, you don't have to use these in your own life, but they're definitely what I'm focused on. The first thing is show your values through what you do. Mm. Um, you say that you wow. care about the poor, go serve the poor. Right. Um, you, you say that you care about immigrants, go serve immigrants. Uh, you say that you have love for people in, and I'm going to get these letters wrong, but the GLBTQ um, IA plus community. Yes. Go serve people in that community. You don't have to to say a bunch of stuff out loud. Just go serve people. Like yeah, in yeah. deed and action. Yes. With deed and with action. Put your love into action. If you do that, everyone will know what you're about, man. You won't have to say a word. There, there's a famous line, preach the gospel constantly when necessary, use words. So that's, that's North Star number one, live out your values. Uh, it's, 
particularly in the age we're in now, that's infinitely more powerful than a, a bajillion Twitter posts. The second thing, and again, this is something that is true for me, I'd encourage you at least to think about it, is keep your opinions to yourself. Yep. Mm. Here's, yeah. Here, Thank here's, you. Here's why I say that is um, you are, it's weird to say this, but I'd have you think about it. You are a brand. Yes. And what that brand does is up to you. If you dilute that brand by having opinions about everything, that brand has no value. Yes. You, if you follow the official Nike Twitter account, you'll find very few comments about food. Yeah. It's not what they do. This, here's the, what I want the brand of Jed Brewer to be. I believe that no matter what you've done, Jesus loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. Come on. That's what I want the brand of Jed Brewer to be. Yeah. If I have publicly stated opinions about all kinds of stuff that don't have anything to do with that, that massively dilutes that brand and makes it way, way less effective. Now, understand, I'm a human being. I'm a white male in my middle. I'm a white middle-aged male. I mean, I have opinions about everything. Right. I have opinions about my opinions. Right. And and most of them aren't even informed. They're all stupid. <laughs> yeah. All of them. Look, I know which ventricle that dude should be cutting. No, I, he's got his fancy boy learning. I, I feel it in my gut. Yeah. No. I no. Oh, As a mind. middle-aged white male, deep in my soul, I believe I intrinsically know the answer to all problems and all difficulties at all places in the universe. Right. But now this is the key thing. I keep it to myself. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because again, in a sense, you are a brand. You have a brand. If you dilute that brand constantly by insisting that you have to comment on everything at all times, mm. nobody knows what you're about. Right. I want to be known as a dude that believes Jesus loves sinners and is prepared to do something about that. That's what I want my life to be about. That's what I want my brand to be about. So for me, that means put that love into action. Serve the poor. Serve the forgotten. Serve the downtrodden. And keep your opinions to yourself. Mm. It's not the same as keeping your values to yourself. Again, you're expressing those in the way that you live. Everybody can pick up on that, but keeping your opinions to yourself. Hey, it's Man. a great point. That is all fantastic stuff. And Glenn, both these guys have given us a lot, a lot of really good stuff to chew on. Um, I think if I could sum up what, maybe how they fit together, and I think what you might tell us as well, is a certain amount of if you're on the real deal, you don't have to actually worry about people That's right. thinking you're on the other thing. That's absolutely so right. So if we let that give us a little bit of freedom, how does that affect what we might do going forward? Well, yes, I I think uh, we we don't need to get a paranoia going about that. One hundred percent of the people who know me do not assume that I'm on what they read about in the yeah. newspapers of whatever. Now, to clarify that, they if especially if they don't know much about kind of Christian and church stuff, they may be that may be confusing for them. Right. We all four of us in this podcast have gotten a certain amount of. Now wait, are you? Do you think? Right. X, Y, Z. Yeah. In that sense of that doesn't jive with who you are. So it's easy enough to say, oh, no, no, no. Yes, that's you're you're absolutely right. I give you an example. You know, we have a policy uh, in our ministry that we don't comment publicly on politics. The past couple of years. That is the law. Yeah, that's yeah. It's it's this past couple of years. That's been really tough to live by. But um, we've seen a lot of people. Glenn's got a drafts folder, folks. Yeah, it's. Full of the spiciness. That's right. And uh, they, there's uh, no doubt a, a, 
a lot of people who have messed themselves up talking about politics. So it, you see that happen, and you say, well, okay, maybe it's a good reason to to, to keep our, our mouths shut. But here's the thing, uh, because we want to stay on brand, so to speak, as Jed is saying, this is I have a message, and I want it to be singular and clear. Mm. I don't want to give you 5,000 different thoughts. I don't have a hot take on anything, dude. I don't know anything. This is what I know. What I know is I'm telling you, if I don't know, I ain't telling you about it because I don't know. I don't, I don't need to be an expert in that. It's almost like when we were amongst you, we resolved to know nothing except right. Christ and him crucified. Right. Whoa. That's, that's, that's like, you just that made that up. Huh? It's the title of my new book. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, you it's going to be a terrible acronym. <laughs> for example, there, uh, uh, I had a buddy of mine, uh, who knows me, uh, knows my work, the ministry that I do, uh, despite the fact that he is a Jewish person and obviously not a Christian, uh, thinks the world of what we do and 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 loves it that it happens and has always been super supportive and cool. And he uh, read a thing about evangelicals. I, I still want to know what the definition of that word is because it doesn't have anything to do with evangelism. But uh, he wrote wrote a read a thing about uh, evangelicals. And then something with politics, and I won't give the headline, but whatever it was, he posted that onto his Facebook and uh, was just angry as all get out about it and was saying, you know, how can these people uh, believe in Jesus and, and have this particular political outlook? And, you know, I'm not giving you any of those details either, but, you know, he, that was you what he said. You can guess. Yeah. So... But so I'm, I want to say something back, but publicly that's not appropriate. That's not my whatever. Uh, so I sent him a little personal message and I said, "Just so you know, I could not possibly agree more with what you said there, and you're right on the money, and you're absolutely right. These are the things that Jesus stood for, and I'd love to give you some more detail about that, just for the sake of interesting conversation." Uh, am I using that as an opportunity to witness to to the, my friend? You bet your bet because that's what I'm about. I, I am I'm making I, I'm wheeling and dealing all the time. You don't even know. So, you know, we can turn those things to our advantage. I but we do get asked those kinds of things, and I think it's important for us to be respectful and patient when we're asked that kind of stuff. We're like, are you into that kind of you know? I, it's easy enough to say, look, I have family members that I love, and I don't agree with a single word they say or Come a on single now. thing they do. They're family. I love them, and there's that. There's also some people who claim to be family that may or may not be kin to us. I don't know. Uh, so there's that. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, 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 ultimately, uh, as these fellows are saying, I want to put my calling out front. I want to put my heart and my passion, my my what I want to do for the Lord. That's what I want to be known by. John 13, uh, 35 says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the love is the thing. If you have that love and you're caring for people who are hurting and struggling, they will, according to that Bible verse, they will know by that that you are the disciple. Not, not if you have the right opinions, as Jed was talking about. Not if you have a Bible sitting on your desk or whatever that is, or the fishy <laughs> thing on your car or whatever that is. Just that you 
love one another. That's the that's the magic juice right there. That's what's getting it done. If you're not doing that, they are going to know you are not his disciple. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter whatever else you've got going on. They will say, you know, he says he's Christian. There's no love in that, dude. So no. If we have that love, even without... Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, doing anything overt and and sort of pushy about our beliefs, people will see that they will understand. Like this guy is cool; he's not like those other ones. And it's ultimately, it's not important for them to see you as part of a larger thing. Anyway, it's important mm-hmm. for them to see you as that's my buddy, and he's a real Christian. I don't know about those other ones. And I don't get along with those other words. I don't like this institution or this denomination or this whatever this is, this political thing. I don't like any of that. But I like my buddy, and he seems cool, and he seems legit. And I think he's on the real thing anyway. So that's that's who I'm going to go to. If I want to talk about spiritual stuff, I'm going to go to him. I'm not going to go to these others. Right. I think that's all really, really fantastic stuff. Right. If you have a question for us, say at podcast.gmail.com. If you want to keep it anonymous, thebridgechicago.tumblr dot com you can scroll down those links are in the episode description check out the song this week talked a lot about kind of stepping in and not judging on people so this is a jed original worship song recorded live at the bridge called not a judge check out that yeah. thanks for listening just remember we love you god loves you there's nothing you can do about it let's say that podcast hey canada how would you feel if we put american cheese on your tim horton's bagel <laughs> that, yeah. that's things right there yeah, yeah. i'm not a judge and i'm not the police Father, I'm your child You're the one that chose me
Gosh, sounds so good.